Thank you very much, Chair. We are live and staff is ready when you are. Great, thank you. Commissioners could turn on your video. So, uh, good evening and welcome to the City of Sacramento's Preservation Commission meeting for March 16th, 2022. Uh, first, the clerk will take roll. Uh, commissioners, please unmute your mics. Thank you, Chair. Um, excuse me. Commissioner Carter is absent this evening. Commissioner Herrick. Here. Commissioner Miller. Here. Commissioner Slavkin. Here. Commissioner Whitelam. Here. Commissioner Wisely. Here. And Chair Volania. Here. Thank you. We have quorum. Thank you. So for members of the public tuning in, uh, in addition to submitting e-comments, you have the option to join the Zoom meeting uh, from the link on the meeting agenda. And there's additional information there on how to comment using the raise your hand feature as well. Uh, so we have a new addition to our introduction. Uh, tonight, I will read the land acknowledgement and Pledge of Allegiance, um, but I'll delegate those uh, in the uh, future meetings to other commissioners. So if you can, uh, please rise for the opening acknowledgements in honor of Sacramento's indigenous people and tribal lands. So to the original people of this land, the Nisenan people, the Southern Maidu, Valley and Plains Miwok, Putwin, Wintun peoples, and the people of the Wilson Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe. May we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather together today in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contribution, and lives. Thank you. And please remain standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. So we will move on to tonight's agenda. Uh, there are no changes to the agenda that was published online. The consent calendar, there are three items tonight, approval of the minutes from the December 15th, 2021 meeting, receipt of the continued teleconference meetings during the COVID-19 state of emergency, and the receipt of the official City of Sacramento land acknowledgement. Uh, we will take these items all together. Do any commissioners have any, um, any questions or anything they'd like to talk about on the calendar or any edits to the Meeting minutes. Oh. Great. Um, Madam Clerk, are there any uh, members of the public wishing to public comment on the consent calendar? Thank you, Chair. I have no members of the public with their hands raised to make comment on the consent calendar. Great. Thank you. Uh, so then I will ask for a motion. 
Um, I move the consent calendar. Thank you. And do I have a second? Second to motion. Thank you. I have a motion by Commissioner Whitelam and a second by Commissioner Miller. Uh, clerk, please take the roll. Thank you, Chair. Again, members, if you have not yet, please unmute and turn on your video. Commissioner Carter. Yes, here. Yeah. Thank mm -hmm. you. Commissioner Herrick. Yes. Commissioner Miller. Yes. Commissioner Slavkin. Yes. Commissioner Whitelam. Yes. Commissioner Wisely. Yep. Yes. Thank you. And Chair Bologna. Yes. Thank you. That motion passes. Thank you. So we will move on to the public hearing item number four, ordinance listing 2911 Riverside Boulevard, the Stark Saucerman House as a landmark on the Sacramento Register of Historic and Cultural Resources. So we'll open the public hearing and pass to staff for the presentation. Uh, thank you, Chair Bologna. So Sean DeCourcy, Preservation Director. And I'd uh, like to introduce our new historic preservation planner, Henry Fuse, who's going to give the presentation for this item tonight. Um, I'll provide a more formal introduction for Henry during my director's report. So with that, Henry, please proceed with your presentation. Can everybody see my screen okay, the full screen? I can't see what it is. Henry, this oh, is Blair Hongo in council chamber. We cannot see it. Um, we can now. There we go. All right, are we all set still? Okay, I'm just gonna assume yes. Um, uh, thank you, everybody. Um, so, so um, the property owner of 2911 Riverside Boulevard, um, the Stark Saucerman House, retained the services of historic environment consultants who prepared the historic evaluation for this property. The historic evaluation attached to the staff report concludes the property is a fine example of the Spanish Revival architectural style, a type of architecture popular in California from about 1915 to 1940 as well as the significant representation of the work of Leonard F. Starks, an influential Sacramento architect whose quality work is widely represented and acknowledged as important to the community. Uh, the 1937 residential duplex building at uh, 2911 Riverside Boulevard reflects an eclectic collection of Spanish Revival stylistic elements. Some typical uh, characteristics of the Spanish Revival style are found on this building include the white textured brick, the red clay mission tile roof, the asymmetrical facade and massing, narrow metal sash windows, um, entry garden and walls, and wood lintels above the windows. So you can see in those photos on the right side, um, some of those features I just mentioned that are very um, distinctive features of the Spanish Revival style. Um, so with that, the building at uh, 2911 Riverside Boulevard does embody the distinctive characteristics of the Spanish Revival design, making it uh, eligible under Criterion 3. Under Criterion 4, um, the building at 2911 Riverside Boulevard was designed by influential Sacramento architect Leonard F. Starks. 
to serve as his own personal residence. The Spanish Revival style building provides distinctive evidence of Stark's work as a locally influential and nationally recognized planner and builder. On the next slide, we will see some of Stark's most notable work in the Sacramento area. The Stark Sosterman House meets the criteria for listing and Sacramento Register Register on, on under city code section uh, for criterion four as a representation of the work of a master or individual architect. So here we can see some of Stark's um, very prominent other buildings that are located in Sacramento. You've probably all seen these buildings. The um, top left, we have the Elks Club Tower. Um, then the next building, we have the Blue Anchor Building, also the Food Exchange Building. Um, the third building on the right side on the top is the Alhambra Theater that many of us know uh, as kind of starting the preservation movement in Sacramento um, when it was demolished in the 1970s. Um, on the lower side, we have McClatchy High School, um, very distinctive building, uh, also in the Spanish Revival style. And on the right, on the bottom, we have the post office. Um, so with that, staff rep does recommend to the Preservation Commission that they make a recommendation to the City Council that 2911, uh, uh, excuse me, 2911 Riverside Boulevard is eligible for listing on the Sacramento Register under Criterion 3 and Criterion 4. With that, I will um, conclude my presentation. Thank you. Great, thank you. Did the owner want to add anything? Are they here? Um, so the owner, I, I let me check. I reached out to him earlier today. I did not receive a response. So if you would like to make a comment, um, Peter Sosterman is his name. It's not necessary. Just wanted to make sure they had an opportunity if they wanted to. Um, Blair, do you see if he has his hand raised or I don't see him as an attendee either. So I, I think that we can move on from that. Thank you, Henry. I can confirm he's not an attendee. Thank you. Thank you. And do we have any public comment? Thank you, Chair. I have no hands raised to make comment on this item. Okay, great. So with that, I will close the public comment. Uh, any commissioner questions, comments? I had a question. Um, Henry, didn't you say that Mr. Sosterman is the one who got the uh, evaluation going or requested it to be done? Yes, Mr. Sosterman um, did request the, um, he, he had a, report created from historic environment consultants and then approached us uh, to uh, move forward with the landmark nomination. So, so he's in support of it, obviously. Then. So yes, yes, the, the homeowner did begin this process, so they're very in support of it. Okay, and then we did have one e-comment, um, and I don't know, Sean, if, if you um, could address this. The man who commented said that, uh, uh, He's fine with this going ahead, um, um, but that um, particularly because it's already a duplex instead of single family home, um, he would apparently, uh, or I guess he was neutral on it, um, but that he would be concerned if the ordinance, um, if the ordinance would prevent downzoning it into a single family home. I don't understand that. Comment. Does what what kind of um, by making it a landmark, uh, does it have some impact on what what the, what the owner could do, like in that respect? 
so the commenter is correct. This building has a unique design and that it has, um, it is designed as a duplex, although it's always been used as a single family home, as far as we can tell. Um, it does have, yeah, it does have two front doors. Um, and the, uh, the landmark listing um, would not prevent it from being either uh, converted in the future into a single family by combining the two spaces if that hasn't been done already uh, because just the presence of two front doors doesn't necessarily make it a duplex if the units are combined on the interior it would be considered a single unit um, but yes the landmark listing um, would would ensure that any modifications in the future are done consistent with the secretary of interior standards um, that could be uh, that could include converting it to single family or um, using it as a duplex or even uh, making alterations to the interior that would make it a multi-unit dwelling um, or adding an ADU would not be uh, prohibited by the landmark listing. Um, it has no impact on, on, a, on how the building is used. It's how the exterior basically is, continues to be portrayed, right? That, that's correct. As long as alterations uh, are done um, consistent with the standards and pr to preserve character defining features, then a change of use would not be prohibited. Okay. All right. That was, that was my question. Any other questions, comments from the commission? Okay, then I will uh, look for a motion to move staff's recommendation. I'll move that we accept staff's recommendation as presented in the agenda. Thank you. Do I'll I have a? I'll second that. Thank you. I have a motion by Commissioner Miller and a second by Commissioner Slavkin. Uh, clerk, please take the roll. Thank you, Chair. Members, again, please unmute and turn on your video. Commissioner Carter. Commissioner, I can see you there. You yeah, I'm here. Sorry, I was a little bit challenged. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you. Commissioner Herrick. Yes. Commissioner Miller. Yes. Commissioner Slavkin. Yes. Thank you. Commissioner Whitelam. Yes. Commissioner Wisely. Yes. And Chair Valania. Yes. Thank you. That motion passes. Great. Thank you. So we will move on to the discussion calendar. Item number five, uh, introduction of new preservation commissioners. Uh, so uh, Director DeCourcy, let you uh, share this. All right. Thank you, Chair Valania. So yes, you may have noticed there are some uh, faces missing from the commission this evening and there's some uh, new faces. So this item will go through uh, and introduce our, our new commissioners. Um, first, I'd like to note the clerk's office did receive resignation letters from both Commissioner Lemon and Commissioner Miller-Cruz following the last meeting of 2021. Um, these along with the Commissioner Bounds uh, vacancy leaves three vacancies on the commission. So with that, I'm pleased to welcome the three new appointees to the Preservation Commission tonight. I'll provide a brief background for each of the commissioners 
and then offer commissioner a chance to say a few words about themselves before moving on to introduce the next appointee. Um, for the new commissioners, you do not need to say anything if you don't want to, um, other than acknowledging that, that I've uh, introduced you. So, but you're welcome to, uh, to, to speak up and, and say anything you'd like. So with that, first, I'd like to introduce Commissioner Justin Wisely. Commissioner Wisely is a professional archaeologist who has over 11 years experience in both prehistoric and historic era archaeology. Mr. Wisely has extensive experience conducting and leading archaeological surveys, overseeing excavations, authoring reports and publications, and managing cultural resource monitoring programs throughout California. He earned his master's degree in anthropology from California State University, Chico, in 2016. He currently serves as a principal archaeological investigator for Pacific Legacy and a, cult a cultural resource management company with offices throughout the state. Um, Commissioner Wisely, would you like to add anything or say a few words? Um, sure. I just want to thank you for welcoming me, and I look forward to working with all of you. All right. Thank you very much. Next, I'll introduce Commissioner Dan Herrick. Commissioner Herrick is an architectural historian and preservation planner with SWCA, a nationwide natural and cultural resource management company with an office in Sacramento. He earned his master's degree in heritage conservation from the USC School of Architecture, where he focused on cultural landscapes and preservation planning. Mr. Herrick moved to Sacramento from Southern California in 2016. Commissioner Herrick, would you like to add anything or say a few words? Um, just happy to be here. Um, it's nice to see some familiar faces and, um, of course, uh, look forward to meeting the rest of you. So thanks again. All right. Thank you, Commissioner Herrick. And last but not least, I'd like to introduce Max Slavkin. Commissioner Slavkin is the co-founder and CEO of Creative Action Network, a company that utilizes art to affect social change by partnering with nonprofit and retail entities uh, such as the National Parks Conservation Association, Patagonia, Digital Public Library of America, the White House, and others to tell civic stories through art and design. Mr. Slavkin is the co-author of three books centered around art and the New Deal, including See America, a Celebration of Our National Parks and Treasured Sites, which earned the National Parks Conservation Association Robin W. Winks Award for enhancing public understanding of our national parks. He has a bachelor's degree in political science and a major in jazz studies from USC and is an alumni of the Coro Fellers Program in public affairs. Uh, Mr. Commissioner Slavkin, would you like to add anything or say a few words? Um, yeah, hi everyone. I'm also very excited to be here. It's cool to be part of such an illustrious rookie class meeting my fellow new commissioners. Um, and I can't believe we got to be a part of Sacramento history already in the first 20 minutes of being involved with this new, uh, this new designation. So, so thanks to all of you and I'm excited to meet you in person. All right, thank you very much. Um, that concludes the introduction of our new commissioners and I'll turn the item back over to Chair Bologna. Thank you. Um, uh, Clerk, do we have any public comment? 
Thank you, Chair. There are no hands raised to make comment on this item. Okay, great. And uh, we do have a moment if any other commissioners have any questions or uh, anything to add. I just like to say welcome. So thank you for joining us. Great, yes. Always happy to see some uh, additional people from USC make the way up here. So this is wonderful. Um, if, I, if I had one thing to add. Um, okay, well with that, welcome. And we are very happy to have you and um, we will look, um, yeah, to have all of your uh, range of experience uh, adding to our discussion. So that is great. Uh, so we will move on to uh, discussion calendar item six, selection of chair and vice chair for the calendar year 2022. Uh, Madam Clerk, I believe you are going to introduce this. Yes, thank you, Chair. Members, before you tonight and in your packet, there's information about the selection of chair and vice chair. As stated in your packet, the chair shall preside over all meetings and ensure that the work of the commission is accomplished. To this end, the chair must exert sufficient control of the meeting to eliminate irrelevant, repetitious, or otherwise unproductive discussion. At the same time, the chair must ensure that all viewpoints are heard and considered in a fair and impartial manner. In the absence of the chair, the vice chair shall preside, excuse me, shall act as presiding officer and may assume the same responsibilities of the chair. It is recommended that the chairperson uh, rotate annually um, as possible. This process does um, align with council rules of procedure in that the vice mayor and mayor pro tem are elected annually. Um, again, that's just a recommendation. If there are commissioners that are interested, it is appropriate to express your interest. And if one, more than one person is interested in serving, the chair may ask commissioners to state their qualifications or express their interest. And then at that time, it would be appropriate for someone to make a motion recommending someone. And with that, my introduction is complete and we can start with the selection of chair. Okay, thank you. And do we have is any public comment? Thank you, there are no hands raised to make comment on this okay. item. Okay, so we will take the, the motion separately for chair and vice chair, but um, can discuss together at this um, time and so um, to lead off I will say that uh, given the shortened calendar of meetings last year and uh, this year thus far that um, I would be interested in continuing to serve as chair if acceptable to uh, my fellow commissioners um, but we'll certainly open it up if anyone else has interest. So with that, uh, do I have a motion? Uh, I'll file the first motion to um, nominate uh, Chair Valanios for a second term. And hopefully I did that right. <laughs> I second it. Thank you. Uh, Clerk, please take the roll. Thank you, Chair. That was a motion by Commissioner Herrick. And I'm sorry, was that second by Commissioner Wisely? No. Oh, uh, William Carter seconded. Carter, yeah. my apologies. Thank you. I'll proceed. You beat with... me to it. Yeah, we sort of look alike. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's a motion by Commissioner Herrick and a second by Commissioner Carter. I will proceed with the roll call vote. Commissioner Carter? 
Yes. Commissioner Herrick? Yes. Commissioner Miller? Yes. Commissioner Slavkin? Yes. Commissioner Whitelam? Yes. Commissioner Wisely? Yes. And Chair Bologna? Yes. Thank you. Motion passes. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, we will move on to the uh, selection for vice chair. Uh, I would like to nominate uh, Commissioner Miller uh, for vice chair. He served on the commission for many years and uh, we certainly um, appreciate his role and uh, on the commission. But again, we'll open it up if anyone else is interested or Commissioner Miller, if you are, would like to accept that or not. Yep, I'll accept that nomination. Thank you. I'll second that for continuity of I think motion. I need a motion first. Oh. Would no. you like to make the motion, Commissioner Wisely? I'll make the motion <laughs> for Mr. So Miller to be the vice chair. Thank you. And I'll second have, that as well. <laughs> thank you. I have a, a motion by Commissioner Wisely and a second by Commissioner Carter. Thank you, Chair. I will proceed with the roll. Commissioner Carter. Yes. Commissioner Herrick. He looks frozen. It's frozen. I will come back to Commissioner Herrick. Commissioner Miller. Yes. Commissioner Slavkin. Yes. Commissioner Whitelam. Yes. Commissioner Wisely. Yes. Chair Valania. Yes. And Commissioner Herrick. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Wonderful. Thank you. Motion passes. Thank you and congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. We will move on to a discussion calendar item seven, the final accomplishments certified local government public education outreach grant project. And I believe uh, I will pass this to preservation director DeCourcy or directly to uh, Former I'd, Director Anderson. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to introduce uh, introduce Director Anderson. Um, so thank you, Chair Valanya. Uh, for this TAP presentation, I am pleased to welcome back to the commission, former Preservation Director Carson Anderson. Former Director Anderson has returned to the Community Development Department as a retired annuitant, as you may be aware, to assist the department with several grant obligations we're working on, including the CLD grant he will talk about tonight. With that, I will turn things over to Carson for the staff presentation. Welcome, Carson. Thank you for the introduction, uh, Director DeCourcy. I'm going to share my screen. Hopefully, my technology will work. Hmm. Bear with me a moment. Slowly but surely. Can all of you see the screen now? Are there obstructions? We can see the PowerPoint. Okay, very good. So um, I am very excited uh, to uh, let you know how 
our uh, grant project turned out. As you know, we were awarded a, a grant from the Office of Historic Preservation. Uh, the monies originate with the, the United States Department of the Interior National Park Service. Uh, the funding is uh, for certified local governments. And for those of you uh, new commission members who may not be familiar with the term certified local government, this is a program established by uh, the U.S. Department of the Interior some decades ago to uh, foster uh, best preservation practices as recognized on a national basis. Uh, this includes um, appropriate uh, enactment of preservation ordinances by local governments, uh, the uh, uh, prosecution of uh, historic resource surveys uh, in their communities, uh, appropriate qualification standards and training for commission members. Those are like three examples of uh, the certified local government requirements. Uh, in exchange for meeting those best practices, uh, the local governments become eligible uh, on a competitive basis to uh, pursue grants that are provided from the, uh, from the federal government uh, with the Office of Historic Preservation here in California serving as the pass-through. Um, so we were fortunate back in 2020 to get one of these certified local government grants. Uh, and let's move forward and uh, talk about the, the goals of this uh, grant that we set forward in our, our application. So we wanted to create two uh, instructional videos for the public, one that would be uh, targeted to teachers, the other one to realtors. Uh, this comes from the realization that we had for a number of years that uh, given our limited and small staff capability, uh, a lot of the public outreach things that we would like to do uh, as a, a city office were kind of beyond us. Uh, so we thought by creating some educational videos uh, that we could share in a wide-ranging way with the public that we'd be able to uh, basically increase our capacity to do outreach. Uh, the one for teachers we thought of as a useful way to reach out to the next generation to make them aware of what historic preservation is and historic preservation practices kind of tied into our local history here in Sacramento. Uh, the one for realtors we thought of as a way to uh, nicely address some of the misinformation that is out there that a uh, occasionally gets passed on to prospective uh, property owners acquiring or considering acquiring historic properties. Uh, we will, at the end of my presentation, I'm going to turn back to uh, Director DeCourcy to share the two videos with you that we produced through our grant. Um, hopefully you had a chance prior to this evening's meeting to have a look at them, but in case you haven't, we're going to give you an opportunity to, uh, to uh, look at them. Um, another objective of the grant uh, project was to drive more traffic to our city's web platforms, uh, both our 
our usual web pages as well as our social media platforms. And lastly, uh, because we encountered during the process of developing uh, the city's historic district plans back in 2018, 2019, we encountered a number of property owners who did not realize that they were the owners of historic properties, uh, which left us aghast. Uh, we we're working to try and remedy that through the uh, recordation of deeds in the county recorder's office so that when property transfers, there'll be sort of an automatic notification amongst those papers that they are indeed the owner of a stored property. But uh, we thought we would also develop another tool, an eye-catching postcard that uh, people would receive on a uh, kind of regular basis, perhaps annually, perhaps biannually. Uh, the postcard could be uh, delivered electronically or could be printed out and uh, mailed to uh, the property owner. Uh, we actually did this back in September, and uh, by sending out the postcard, we actually got a number of responses from property owners of historic properties. So uh, this postcard idea seems to be working. Now, I thought maybe we should also talk about the timeline that we were working on, since it was a rather tight timeline. We received the, uh, the agreement from the State Office of Historic Preservation um, as uh, short-staffed as we are here at the city uh, back in, I think it was February of 2021. We um, quickly got everything ready to go to council so that the city could formally accept uh, the agreement and in a contract with uh, the State Office of Historic Preservation to receive the grant funds. Immediately after council approval in late April, we uh, posted our RFP to solicit consultants to help us with this endeavor. And then as you can see on the slide, we were rather busy from August through September, finalizing the, the contract, moving forward with uh, uh, script development, storyboard development for our various videos. Uh, the actual shooting of the videos occurred in September, uh, lining up volunteers and shooting locations that were suggested by staff. Uh, and we also were able to uh, finalize the design and content on the, uh, the digital postcard. And as I mentioned earlier, we were able to distribute that in September to, uh, to the public. Uh, we were able to uh, provide a, a project finalization report, uh, actually an interim one in October, and then a more final report towards the end of last year. This sl slide rather excitingly shows some of the uh, shooting that went on, the video shooting that went on back in September. Uh, you'll see uh, Josh Leachman uh, in the left picture there, uh, Josh Leachman of DRV Partners, uh, which I'm sure uh, several of you, many of you probably already know. In the middle photograph is our intrepid Matt Piner, an architect and contractor who works um, almost extensively with historic properties, being photographed in Bungalow Row. And then the left slide shows uh, realtor Luis Sumter and our preservation director standing next to him in the red uh, for the segment that uh, Luis recorded uh, for the realtors. 
So one of the um, products from our grant effort was a report on how to um, improve navigation and to excite interest on our, our web uh, and social media platforms. That document came to us back in September. Um, I'd like to share with you some of the uh, comments, some of the suggestions that our consultant uh, made to us. They pointed out something which I wasn't aware of previously, that we have approximately 380,000 visits to the city's web pages. That is a rather large and impressive number. Um, they talked about the need for readily identifiable fonts and color palettes to kind of distinguish our content from some of the other uh, pages on the web. Uh, they suggested a more minimalistic layout for our pages to kind of highlight the uh, key information that we're pointing the public to. Um, the use of hyperlinks, which we're already doing on our various web pages, uh, capture phrases to kind of hook the public in and get them to click on the web pages, uh, more use of photos and graphics, uh, which would probably seem, seem to be an obvious recommendation uh, that we should pursue more fully, and the idea of creating a logo. Uh, so these are some of the ideas that were presented, I, uh, I thought, and the director thought they were helpful ideas. We're hoping that when we do, um, excuse me, future updates of our platform and when we have additional staffing in our IT department, we'll be able to implement some of these ideas. So they're, we're holding them uh, for the time being uh, in the hope that we'll be able to move forward at a future date in um, bringing those ideas into fruition. Uh, here is the uh, final uh, design for the electronic postcard, a digital postcard that we uh, mentioned uh, earlier. Uh, as you can see, there is a, a kind of a kind of a hook to get people to look at the postcard and then uh, some information about what some of the benefits are of having a historic property and then, of course, the ways to contact staff to get more information. Then also, I wanted to kind of highlight some of the, uh, the many partners and volunteers uh, supported this effort. Uh, of course, acknowledge again the uh, the Department of the Interior National Park Service, uh, which provided the funding through the National Historic Preservation Act program, uh, the State Office of Historic Preservation, which worked with us and guided us in kind of uh, finalizing the scope of services for the grant effort, uh, Sacramento Heritage, uh, and then uh, our actor narrator docent Ruby Sketchley, who appears in the uh, teacher's module, very engaging uh, presentation by her. Uh, and then some of our uh, subject matter experts and speakers on the uh, realtors uh, developer architect uh, video, Luis Sumter, first of all, uh, Matt Piner, Matt Malinowski, uh, Bay Neary, Josh Leachman, uh, William Berg. Um, I believe I've captured all the names there who spoke as experts. And then uh, some of our narrators, uh, um, kind of voiceover narration by Patrick Stelmach and David Kedry, our um, 
preservation intern also deserves an acknowledgement, Caitlin Grieb. And uh, finally, our consultants who did such a good job working with us. We've already spoken about the video work that Good Sides LLC did. I want to also lift up the work that uh, MJ Designs, this is uh, Melissa James's firm here in Sacramento. Uh, she is a, um, an educator and a curriculum development person who uh, delights in working with young people and in uh, creating engaging content that will hook them into history and other topics related to our local history and culture. Uh, she worked with us in developing our storyboards uh, and uh, had a, um, a QA review role and some of the other actions that we took as well. So um, we know that this is a starting point in our effort to do uh, a greater and better job of public outreach and engagement. Uh, so some of the next steps that we're uh, going to consider are include reaching out to our local chapter of the AIA, uh, reaching out to our, our various uh, real estate associations uh, to share the information. Perhaps maybe uh, through a webinar, we could introduce the video to some of the the leaders in the association and get their guidance on how we can roll this out to uh, smaller groups or smaller organizations of realtors to uh, spread the word about preservation here in the city. Uh, we've already had some uh, outreach from and contact to Grant Union High School and uh, also to McClatchy High School. They're, uh, uh, the director of their humanities program there. Um, Sojourner Truth Museum, Preservation Sacramento. Um, we, I, I would also be remiss if I didn't mention some of the uh, regional uh, teaching um, uh, institutions that train our next generation of teachers. And then I was also, uh, Delighted to hear that uh, Commissioner uh, Slafkin has some expertise which might also help us in, in propelling forward this effort. So um, I believe Director DeCourcy will be reaching out to Commissioner Slafkin to get your ideas on how we might promote and excite the public about what we're doing. So I will turn things back to Director DeCourcy who is going to share with you, share out the, uh, the videos and have a chance to see them on the big screen. All right, thank you, Carson. If you could stop sharing your screen, then I will share mine and we'll play the videos. And we're going to start with the, um, the real estate professionals developer video. So let me... Technology hopefully cooperating with us. Let me just queue it up. All right. 
Hello, Sacramento. My name is Luis Sumter, and I've been a realtor in Sacramento for over 20 years. And I'm here to challenge some common myths about historic preservation. Myth number one, historic properties cannot be updated or changed. Residential historic properties like these have no restrictions on interior changes. So popular renovations like kitchen and bath remodels are as easy as obtaining a building permit. And additions are common and typically found on the back of the historic building. Myth number two, historic designation typically results in lower property values. This is simply not borne out of the evidence. In fact, economists agree that historic properties typically have a higher property value than buildings without a historic designation, hands down. Myth number three, historic properties cannot be insured. There are literally thousands of historic properties across Sacramento, and with the exception of a few, they all are insured. Sure, some insurance companies make it more difficult to insure historic properties, but most understand that historic properties really are no different than other older buildings, and they can be insured at reasonable rates. Myth number four, historic districts create stagnation and do not allow a city to grow. Look at this vibrant corridor that we're standing in. These historic commercial buildings have been repurposed from their original industrial or retail uses and now are home to some of the most vibrant and popular restaurants in the city. And just look across the street. This residential duplex fits in nicely with its historic neighboring residences and businesses, yet it's brand new. Bottom line, historic preservation does not negatively affect property values. It even tends to result in higher and more stable values over time. More importantly, historic preservation makes a city vibrant and it creates an identity and a culture that we should all be proud of. Which is why much of my business has been working with clients who buy and sell historic properties. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I think this block of historic buildings right here is a great case in point. This block is called Bungalow Row and the city had the foresight and did the work and study to set aside these buildings, all built about 100 years ago, uh, to create a unique historic district. Hi, I'm Matt Piner. I'm an architect uh, who's lived and worked here in the city of Sacramento since um, roughly 1989 when I bought an old house. So one of the things that's really great about the old buildings is that these things that are built into them are passive and permanent, meaning that they work without any moving parts or energy expenditure, and they're there for the life of the home. So they've been there for 100 years, they'll be there for another 100 years. The people that buy them are proud of them, and the people that walk and bike these streets then come to visit appreciate the fact that we have this window back in time. So one of the misconceptions about old buildings is that they're energy hogs. That somehow it costs more money, you're gonna have higher bills, but actually that couldn't be further from the truth. So one of the sayings that a well-known architect said is is the one that's already built. And because the energy and effort that went into building them has already been done, we call that embodied energy. We don't have to expend that energy again. Some people think that these buildings are just old and we should tear them down. But what happens is we lose that embodied energy. If we lose them, we lose them forever. We don't get that back. Another thing that these buildings have taught us 
is they were built in an era where Sacramento, our river city, actually would experience regular flooding. And because of that, these buildings were built at a certain distance above the ground, having flood basements and other features. Today, those sheltered, earth-coupled areas under the house stay cool, and they're a great place to run ductwork and provide a very stable temperature for these homes. Because they were built at a time that our great-grandparents' generation, they didn't have air conditioning. So they had figured out how to shade the buildings with eaves. They learned that our temperate climate makes it pleasant to be out front, so they have these broad uh, front porches. They have good cross-ventilation features, high ceilings. They were really designed for an era without air conditioning. So they are, by their nature, very energy efficient already. So these are just a few of the features and what these buildings have to teach us and why we can thank the preservation program here in the city that identifies and helps preserve and protect these buildings. One final thought about these beautiful homes in this downtown area is that these lots generally are very deep. They go all the way to a service alley in the back. And because of that, there are actually these spaces within these neighborhoods by design which allow the potential for infill housing. So it's really an important thing that these neighborhoods give us that we can thank those who came before us for providing for us. Wouldn't you agree, Bay? Absolutely. Hi, everyone. My name is Bay Miri, and I'm with Miri Development. I'm standing here along the historic R Street corridor. This historic corridor is really special to me. There's been a lot of hard work put in by a lot of people in our community to make this corridor come alive. Nowhere else in the city do you have completed streets, big patios, and such an abundance of really cool local restaurants, cafes, bars, and housing up above than you do along the historic R Street corridor and the K Street downtown corridor. Behind me is the historic B&G building at 11th and R Street. I was lucky enough to be involved in this mixed-use building that has a really cool vegan fast food restaurant on the ground floor and a creative office engineering firm on the upper floors. I was also lucky enough to be involved in other historic rehab projects at 14th and R and in downtown K Street. Without historic preservation, our cities lose their character and their culture. And historic preservation is absolutely important to the housing crisis, which is such an important priority right now. Historic preservation allows us to bring all different types of really cool housing to our central cities. Without it, everything would be very vanilla and plain. Without the Mills Act and federal tax credits, these historic preservation projects would not be possible. They are very valuable tools and historic preservation is critical to the housing crisis. Am I right, Mike? You bet, Bay. Hi, I'm Mike Melanowski. I'm a Sacramento architect with experience on dozens of historic adaptive reuse projects over the years. We're here at a building on our street that was formerly the Lawrence Warehouse. It was built 100 years ago, one of the first in Sacramento out of reinforced concrete to store just about anything, entire households, including their Model T car. Today, it has 116 affordable artist housing units that range from studio live work units to full three bedroom family housing. This building's financing was helped by federal tax credits. And in fact, it used two kinds of tax credits, both the housing tax credits and the historic tax credits. 
Right next door is another historic building, a three-story brick building, even older than the Lawrence. Today, it's office over ground-level restaurant, and it was able to use Mills property tax abatement. When I look at these projects, I think win-win, no matter how you look at it. Josh, what do you think? You know, absolutely. You know, we're, we're concerned with both uh, financially successful projects as well as the company's legacies. These types of projects um, are great for both. I'm Josh with Downtown Rail Yard Venture, or DRV. We believe that preservation matters for business, for tourism, for culture, and for identity. Within the central shops, within these amazing buildings, we see this as an opportunity, not a constraint. The central shops at one point was the largest industrial facility on the West Coast. Each building here had a specific purpose. Over to the west, you see the boiler shop. Over to the east, you see the paint shop. As such, each of those buildings contributed in its unique way to establishing railroad-related equipment and services. Perhaps this is the most special spot in the central shops. This interior plaza, courtyard, you see the different areas. This place we're standing here, I think it's truly one of the most special places within the central shops. You can just imagine the energy, the focus. Each building represents a different era. Each building integral to the success of the western terminus of the transcontinental railroad. This place is awesome. You know, thousands and thousands of people have worked at the rail yards. It was Sacramento's largest employer for many, many years. Those folks who worked at the rail yards, you can just feel their hard work, their efforts, their sweat within each of these buildings. Railroad equipment and railroad-related services were all formed here and established here and ultimately led to the formation of the Transcontinental Railroad. Central Shops, it's adjacent in, to downtown Sacramento. It's adjacent to the Sacramento Valley Station, uh, one of the largest intermodal facilities in the country. Uh, and as such, this historical location, once part of the Central Pacific Railroads, is now set up to be part of the extension and, uh, and growth of Sacramento moving forward. These buildings, they benefit from state and federal historic tax credits which help offset the cost of rehabilitation and repurposing these amazing structures. They're complicated, they're challenging, they're beautiful, but it costs a lot of money. Those historic tax credits really enable projects like this to establish that cultural identity and center for the rail yards. When people are here, they feel these buildings, they're authentic. You know, people have been working here for so long, you can just see it in the buildings. They had purpose. They feel the effort that went into each one of these buildings. They're unique. As such, it's perfect for establishing the identity and cultural center for the rail yards moving forward. So the rail yards doubles the footprint of downtown Sacramento. We're gonna bring in thousands of new residents. We're gonna bring in new business. We're gonna bring in new entertainment facilities. We're gonna bring in a new medical campus. Central to that, is the central shops, the historic district. It's, it's the authentic cultural identity for the rail yards. Personally, for me, to be part of a project, to work on these amazing buildings that has the scope and the reach and affects the legacy of Sacramento is amazing. Any final words, Luis? 
You've just heard from real estate and development professionals who understand the incredible value of working with historic properties. There's a bias in our industry that we would like to dispel about working with historic properties as both expensive and unpredictable, which typically is not the case. So we hope you will reach out to one of us or city staff the next time you're dealing with a historic property so you can learn more about how historic preservation can help our community thrive. Let's discover Sacramento together. In old Sacramento, you can discover Sacramento's history during the gold rush era more than 160 years ago, including the role of transportation by river and I'm sorry, are we having some technical difficulties? Are you not seeing my uh, screen? Hi, Sean, this is Blair Hongo in chamber. It was running a moment ago. If we wanna restart, it was um, a little glitchy at the beginning, but we, we did see it and hear it in council chamber. Okay, sorry about that. I will uh, restart my share and uh, hopefully this will go smoothly. So this is the uh, realtor video that we're starting now. This will be the teacher's uh, video, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry about that. Yes, the teacher's video. Thank you. Thank you, Carson. Sacramento together. In old Sacramento, you can discover several aspects of Sacramento's history during the gold rush era more than 160 years ago, including the role of transportation by river, horse, and train in creating Sacramento. Old Sacramento also showcases the role that redevelopment, once referred to as urban renewal, played during the mid 20th century. City officials demolished other old buildings nearby, but routed the construction of Interstate 5 around Old Sacramento to preserve the city's early history and to promote it as a heritage tourism attraction inspired by Colonial Williamsburg. 
While you're at it, grab some selfies in front of the many cool sites, or grab a bite to eat at one of the many eateries in this farm to fork capital. Before the buildings and structures, Sacramento truly was a city of rivers inhabited by the Nishinan, Sacramento's native people. The Nishinan lived all throughout Northern California. Their southernmost boundary began below the Cosumnes River, headed east to Kybers, and included both sides of the Sacramento River. Years ago, the Nishinan lived in towns made up of extended family groups of different sizes, led by Hook, head man, and Mayan, head woman. Before the founding of Sacramento, many different indigenous groups made their homes in the area. What is now the city of Sacramento occupies the ancestral homelands of the Nisenan, Southern Maidu, Valley and Plains Miwok, Patwin Wintun, and the people of the Wilton Rancheria, currently Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe. These cultures still exist today and are part of the past, present, and future of the city. Buildings can move. The raging rivers in the city of Sacramento created problems for the city developers as they flooded and destroyed Sacramento several times. The solution? Literally lifting the building several feet high using jacks. This home, built in 1885, belonged to Llewellyn Williams. It was moved twice before finding its current location here on H Street. This paint treatment was done recently in 2019. It's an excellent example of historic preservation. How did Llewellyn and the other early citizens of Sacramento deal with Sacramento's hot climate? I'm standing on it. They built these excellent porches to remain cool. And inside, architects put in parallel windows to allow for airflow throughout the house. Buildings can grow over time. The Sacramento City Hall was constructed in 1911. The new City Hall came into existence in 2005. With modern architecture embracing the past, this turn-of-the-century City Hall building reads as a separate structure, still echoing the color palette of the older structure, yet renewed with an architectural twist. The Sacramento Public Market, opened in 1923, is a beautiful harmony of old and new designs. It was designed by renowned architect Julia Morgan. The building served as a gathering place for over 50 years. It is where the community could find their groceries, clothing, and other items. In the 1970s, the public market was sold and converted into a hotel, the Sheraton Grand. The architect's goal was for the building to not only serve the hotel, but also to bring back the essence of the vintage experience. The brick and terracotta stonework was preserved, while the interior looks and feels like a modern hotel. Located across from Sacramento's Convention Center, 
the former public market building in one of the city's largest concert halls. Julia Morgan's public market continues to serve as a backdrop for the city's visitors. Rehabilitating historic properties like the Sheraton Grand can be a critical part of promoting energy efficiency by preserving it instead of creating more and adding to the city's carbon footprint. Sacramento is located in the center of California's Central Valley, one of the most fertile agricultural areas in the country. This location made the city great for processing agricultural products early in its history. Facilities that packaged and processed food were located all over the city. Many of these buildings remain today, but have been converted for other uses, such as housing, office parks, and storage facilities. The Globe Mills building was once a facility that processed grain into flour and pasta. Originally built in 1913, it processed grain on the northern edge of downtown for nearly a century. The Globe Mills was eventually converted to low-income housing in 2006 by the Yusefi Development Company. The project took advantage of federal rehabilitation and low-income tax credits to complete the design conversion. The Globe Mills property is one of thousands of properties here in Sacramento and across the United States that have been preserved and retrofitted using tax credits and other preservation incentives. To find out more about these programs and read about other examples of this being done, visit the following web links for details. Buildings can harbor unseen social history. The Nathaniel Colley & Associates Law Offices at 1810 S Street holds important historic and architectural significance for its association with Sacramento's black community. The building was the office of civil rights attorney Nathaniel S. Colley, Sacramento's first African-American attorney to practice law in Sacramento. Colley's prominent and respected legal career fought to end segregation in housing, politics, and the workplace. Lay the facts on the line uh, about the existence of discrimination in housing. And the Supreme Court said that a state must use all of its resources in every reasonable manner to achieve desegregation. Because of Kali, public housing practices were changed throughout California and the western states. People of color were finally able to apply for and receive housing. The building was designed by James C. Dodd, who was the first licensed African-American architect in Sacramento and the creator of important works, including the Shiloh Baptist Church, which is listed on the California Register and the National Register for its architectural significance. James C. Dodd is renowned for designing several important residences, including his own home in South Sacramento. In 2020, 1810 S Street was listed on the Sacramento Register for its association with Nathaniel Colley and James Dodd and continues to thrive today.
The building at 1515 Fourth Street was originally built as a restaurant called The Flower Garden by African-American entrepreneur Felix Flowers. The building included meeting rooms for African-American members of the Benevolent and Protective Order of Elks. Today, the building is more closely associated with the rich ethnic heritage of Japanese-American veterans returning to Sacramento following World War II. After the war, the Flower Garden closed, and the Nisei, who are children of Japanese-born immigrants, left the internment camps and relocated here. Community leaders saw the need to establish a social hall dedicated to this growing population. In 1955, with the assistance of the Sacramento Japanese American Citizens League, the VFW Post 8985 acquired the property at 1515 Fourth Street for this purpose, where it continues to preserve this community's rich and sometimes tragic history. Sacramento once housed the fourth largest and most vibrant Japantown in the country, rivaling those of San Francisco, San Jose, and Los Angeles. Japantowns were segregated places where Japanese Americans could practice their religious and cultural traditions without harassment. That is until World War II, when these people were forced into internment camps hundreds of miles away. These atrocities decimated the local population and made it hard to maintain Sacramento's Japantown. Sacramento was a very thorough example of the destruction of a Japantown, probably the most thorough on the West Coast. And considering the fact that Sacramento had, in the 1920s, uh, by population percentage, been the most Japanese city of any American city, uh, it's a really significant change. Unfortunately, this made the area a prime target for urban renewal, a movement that emerged following World War II when urban cores, like downtown Sacramento, were seen as blighted and in need of gentrification. This led to the displacement of the poor and minority communities and the demolition of thousands of historic buildings throughout the country to make way for new, cleaner urban places. We see the scars of redevelopment today all over our city. These vacant lots throughout downtown or the freeways that cut through the city best show these scars. Neighborhoods like Oak Park and Del Paso Boulevard are primary examples of buildings that were raised and where freeways were built, essentially changing the fabric of these neighborhoods forever. In 1850, the same year that California was admitted to the Union, St. Andrew's African Methodist Episcopal Church or the AME Anvil Church was founded. Standing to this day, it is one of the oldest congregations on the West Coast. Preacher Barney Fletcher led a small congregation and hosted several conferences boasting statewide attendance over the next 15 years. The original church was later replaced by a parking structure that now stands nearby a few busy intersections downtown with most passerbys not aware of the historical markers around them. The spirit of St. Andrew's AME Church still lives on today in a new location only a few miles away, thereby preserving this unbelievable story told and inspiring active congregations everywhere.
The Oak Park neighborhood was created from farmland in 1887 when real estate developer Edwin Alsip subdivided the land and renamed it Oak Park after an eight-acre grove of oak trees that grew in its center. In 1911, with the population expanding and pressures growing to address water and sewage issues, Oak Park was annexed into the city along with several other outlying neighborhoods. Oak Park developed into a middle-class residential suburb with its own commercial district centered around Sacramento Avenue, which is now Broadway. Brick shop fronts, theaters, and other cultural and institutional buildings sprang up along the streetcar line that traversed the 100-foot-wide boulevard. Following World War II, many of the middle-class families and businesses relocated to suburbs farther from the city center. The migration of middle-class residents opened the door to African-American residents who were being pushed out of their previous homes in the downtown by urban renewal. As a result, Oak Park developed a new cultural identity as an African-American neighborhood. Social organizations and cultural institutions followed the migration, including the Shiloh Baptist Church, the Sacramento Observer newspaper, the Women's Civic Improvement Club, and Sacramento Black Panther Party. Against the backdrop of social unrest in the late 1960s and early 70s, several of Oak Park's long-standing businesses closed down and never reopened, such as Steen's Bar and Clarence Azevedo's clothing store. Meanwhile, urban renewal projects led to the demolition of most of Oak Park's historic business district along 35th Street. More recently, Oak Park has experienced a period of urban revitalization. The city established a historic district in the area in 2011 and benefit from an increasing number of diverse cultures. This evolution of Oak Park has created a larger discussion about gentrification, displacement, and created a dialogue between this area's residents, both old and new. Founded in 1937 is the oldest school in Sacramento City Unified. Construction of the school was an undertaking funded by the U.S. Public Works Administration during the Great Depression. Designed by the local architectural firm of Starks and Flanders, which had also designed other landmark buildings in the city of Sacramento, including the Elks Temple and the Courthouse. In 2002, the school was officially listed on the National Register of Historic Places, proving once again that historical preservation is all around us. Sacramento's Midtown neighborhood serves as a hip, trendy scene for young professionals and families alike. It is the perfect example of how history interacts with present-day efforts to revitalize the city's core. Victorian period styles were popular from the 1840s to the early 1900s, known for their detail and reference of European-style architecture. It is not uncommon to find restaurants, nightclubs, coffee shops, or even art galleries located inside Victorian period homes. The Flamingo House is a great example of a residence being reused and re-establishing itself as a popular local business. During the middle of the last century, 
Downtown was the scene of massive disruption when thousands of buildings were demolished by urban renewal. However, in Midtown, local preservation groups like the Sacramento Old City Association advocated for the preservation of whole neighborhoods through the creation of historic districts. These districts have helped slow the demolition happening in the city's west end and have created a network of authentic urban neighborhoods that makes up the cultural center of Sacramento today. Thank you for sharing those. Is there anything else? Uh... No, I believe that concludes staff's presentation on this item. Um, and I'll turn it over to back, back to Chair Bologna. Thank you. Any uh, commissioner questions, comments on uh, everything we've seen? Uh, I'd just like to provide a comment. Um, I wanna say uh, thanks to everybody. Um, the preservation department at the city. Those videos were fantastic, super helpful. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure it'll serve as an example of what some other cities can do. So um, it's, it's pretty impressive, the range of topics that you guys uh, managed to cover in uh, such short increments. So uh, kudos to you and your consultant. Well, um, yeah, it's they're, they're really wonderful videos and cover um, quite a few things. I definitely learned a couple things in there as well. So um, we'll be interested to hear how the postcards continue to uh, uh, come back with uh, positive responses or questions and homeowners uh, seeing those. And uh, we'll look forward to, I know these are supposed to get up on the website, so um We'll look for that uh, addition when that comes out to be able to share these a little bit more easily as well. So uh, with that, we will- Chair, this uh, is Blair Hongo in council chamber. We do have a member of the public with their hand raised to make comment on that item. Okay, please go ahead. Thank you. We have a hand raised to Mr. Barry Boyd. Good evening, Mr. Boyd. How are you doing there, Blair? Um, Thank you. Um, hopefully everyone can hear me. Yes, we can. Sorry. Thank you. I'm actually trying to do two meetings here at the same time. Uh, with that, I do have a, um, first I'd like to welcome everybody, the new commissioners to the um, um, Preservation commercial, uh, Commission. And I do thank all that were involved with the uh, presentation that we just viewed and uh, they were fantastic. A couple of questions on uh, in regards to the presentations. Are they readily available for the general public? Uh, I am one of the general public uh, to view online, whether Facebook or wherever. And if they're not, how can anyone 
uh, receive a copy of all of the presentations that we just viewed. And uh, the second question I would like to ask, when outreach is done, if the Preservation Commission could make sure to um, contact all of the registered neighborhood associations in both the city of Sacramento and county of Sacramento, as well as um, uh, known CBOs that the city and county do business with, i.e. Uh, either granting a grant or other one-on-one uh, -on -one interactions, there is a master list that uh, can be attained from both the city and county and more specific from county supervisors and city uh, council members. And in addition to uh, neighborhood associations, the local CBOs and other community groups and organizations, and in particular in areas of communities of color so that everybody is well informed on, on the Preservation Commission and what is being done through the uh, Preservation Commission. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Boyd. Chair, there are no other hands raised to make comment. Thank you. Okay, so with that, we will uh, move on to commission comments. This is a chance for commissioners to share any ideas, comments, uh, conference reports. Chair Villania, can I interject before we move to the next agenda item to respond to Mr. Boyd's question? Uh, these videos are currently on YouTube. It is uh, the intention of staff to get to find a permanent partner um, outside of YouTube to host the videos and to share them. And yes, there will be uh, some follow-up outreach to the various neighborhood organizations and CBOs uh, as you uh, recommend it. So thank you for those comments and Chair Bologna, excuse my uh, interruption. Thank you. Yes, the uh, the YouTube links are in the uh, materials that are available from the website from the agenda. So those are accessible right now, but we'll be looking for a, a better place to uh, send people for those. Um, great. Thank you. Okay. Um, so any uh, commission commissioners that would like to share any Thing this this month again, if uh, anything that's not on the agenda that um, like to bring up, uh, this is the chance. Hearing none, uh, we will move on to public comments. Matters not on the agenda. Uh, Clerk, do we have any other public comment? Thank you, Chair. There are no hands raised to make comment for items not on the agenda this evening. Great, thank you. Uh, so we'll move on to the director's report. Uh, Director DeCourcy. Thank you, Chair Bologna. I do have uh, several important items to report on tonight. 
in my director's report. Um, first, an update on uh, staffing in the preservation section, as I mentioned. Um, I'm pleased to introduce Henry Fuse, who has filled our preservation planner position, which I vacated when I became preservation director. Henry is originally from northern New Jersey and studied historic preservation at Roger Williams University in Rhode Island, where he had also been restoring his late 19th century bungalow. Henry spent five years working as a manager for a public aquatics facility in northern New Jersey um, and is currently telecommuting from the East Coast, but he does have plans to relocate to Sacramento sometime this spring or early summer. So next on staffing, um, we've welcomed Nicole Johnson as our new preservation intern with our department. Nicole is working on her master's degree from Sacramento State University in the public history program. Nicole joins Caitlin Grieve, our current intern in the department, which makes two uh, part-time preservation interns uh, on board and working with us. Next, <clears throat> excuse me, next I'd like to discuss an important preservation project re recently approved at the director level. Um, staff recently approved the first development within the Central Shops Historic District, which was just featured in your video, um, and is part of the rail yard specific plan area. Uh, the project that we approved will adaptively reuse the paint shop building as a 5,000 seat live music venue and improve the land between the paint shop and the rest of the shop's buildings with a new commercial building and site improvements for a uh, quasi-public plaza um, and connect that plaza to the uh, rail platforms via the tunnel uh, on the south. Uh, this project um, is hoping to break ground in early 2023 and is likely to spur continued adaptive reuse of the other historic buildings in the district. A very important project uh, to, to keep an eye on. So finally, I'd like to acknowledge that tonight is Commissioner Jackie Whitelam's final meeting on the Preservation Commission. Um, Commissioner Whitelam joined the commission in January of 2016 and has been involved in many interesting endeavors during her time on the commission, including serving as the commission chair in 2018 and 2019. Commissioner Whitelam worked with former commissioners Marshak and Moffitt on the Ad Hoc Infill Development Committee. That committee developed a set of infill design guidelines or principles that were used as the basis for the historic district plans infill design guidelines, which were adopted by the city council in 2019. Commissioner Whitelam was instrumental in implementing the city or in amending the city's review process, which delegated review and approval of many preservation projects, such as the uh, rail yards project, to city staff. And that occurred after the historic district plan design guidelines took effect. This, the historic district plan earns Sacramento's Preservation Commission a national award for excellence in 2020 from the National Alliance for Preservation Commissioners, thanks in large part to Commissioner Whitelam's leadership on the project. Commissioner Whitelam also acted as the Preservation Commission representative for the Downtown Specific Plan Technical Advisory Committee and the Preservation Commission representative on the conference planning committee for the 2020 California Preservation Foundation Conference that was going to be held in Sacramento, but postponed due to the pandemic. 
I would like to personally thank Commissioner Whiteland for her leadership on the commission and her service to Sacramento, especially over these past six years, but also over her long career of public service. Um, and with that, this, that concludes my director's report. Um, and I encourage uh, any commissioner questions at this time. Well, we have a, a new commissioner filling uh, Commissioner Whiteland's uh, spot next time, or do we expect that seat to just sit vacant for a little while? The clerk is actively uh, recruiting for uh, Commissioner Whiteland and Commissioner Carter's uh, seats. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Jackie, for your years of service. Well done. You know, I wanted to let everybody know, particularly the new commissioners, that um, it was really a particularly good time for me to be on it because um, I've been an architect in the city um, since the 70s, which I'm certain is probably before some of you were born. Um, but um, I really had come to it after uh, working at CADA on rebuilding the property, a state-owned property south of Capitol Park. And this last six years, our, our, our major endeavor was to somehow um, allow the uh, infill housing to be built in a way that could strengthen the integrity of our neighborhoods, um, most particularly the cherished ones that are the historic districts. So, you know, as you go forward, um, I think the historic district guidelines will serve, you know, will serve you well in that respect and, and many of the issues we dealt with, staff will be dealing with. But I, I will, I think that you'll have um, some interesting new um, challenges as the city focuses on the aging commercial corridors and the mid-century modern buildings that are built along them and adaptively reusing them, um, particularly because um, mid-century modern buildings a, a big part of their um, architectural integrity was this, the space around them, which of course in the fifties um, through the seventies when they were built primarily, you know, it was because we had cars and it set the parking lots, set the buildings uh, space around them. And I think it will be interesting as we look into, uh, as the city looks into making those quarters more, um, people friendly and maybe more housing on them, how you, how you, how that issue of spatial integrity um, is dealt with. I'm, I'm not pro car at all. I'm just saying that it will be an interesting uh, uh, process, I think for preservationists and um, one that I'm continuing to be active with the AIA local chapter and I'd encourage uh, you know, continued interaction between the preservation community and the local architectural community. Thank you. So, bye-bye, I guess. <laughs> uh, Chair? Congrats on all the great work. Chair, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to interject. Um, maybe a little unusual. I, I, I wanted to publicly Thank Jackie. I've known Jackie for a long time as an architect. We um, interface on a regular basis. Um, Jackie has been proactive. She's asked the tough questions. She's done the hard work. Um, she has been 
a, a friend of staff helping keep us honest and on point. Um, she has brought things to our attention that we might have overlooked. Uh, she has added broadly to the conversation of preservation and while she builds herself as an architect and not a preservation expert, I, I would choose to disagree with that. I think that she has been a leading preservation voice in this community for a long time. And um, for all of you other commissioners, um, I suggest there's big shoes to fill as um, you lose Jackie here and um, her curiosity as to why why we're doing something, why we can't do better. And it, it's, it's been an amazing run. And I wanna personally thank you, Jackie, and for the city of Sacramento, I wanna thank you for everything that you've added. Thank you, Bruce. And uh, for the benefit of the commissioners, that was Bruce Monaghan. He is the urban design manager. He oversees both design review and historic preservation for the community development department. If I could add my 10 cents, thank you, Bruce, and thank you, Sean, for your comments and your appreciation to Jackie for her many contributions and uh, the tough questions that she posed that helped us do a better job with preservation planning. Jackie will be very much missed and um, hope you will be involved in other ways with the preservation program. Thanks again for your efforts. Yes, we, I think, understand the, uh, the shoes that need to be filled. So, Jackie, we thank you um, and wish we were in person to uh, do this properly. Um, is there anything else? Any other questions? Anything on uh, the director's report? Okay, well, with that, I will adjourn the meeting. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. See you next time.